The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. Father, I ask specifically now that for all of us in this room and for those watching online, that fearlessness and greatness of joy would be our portion for Christmas and for 2022 based on the wonders of your Lordship. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we focus one more time this Advent on verses 10 and 11. So I hope your Bibles are open. The angel said to the shepherds, fear not. So underline that. You can hear that over and over. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Underline that. You can hear that over and over. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Underline that. So those three focuses, fear not, great joy, Lord. That's my, my focus. And the question I'm asking is, How does the lordship of this newborn baby make possible your fearlessness and your great joy in 2022? That's my question. So verse 10, fearless, great joy coming into the world. Verse 11, the basis, you see the word for at the beginning of verse 11, the basis of the fearlessness and the joy is Savior, Christ, Lord. And we've seen Savior, we've seen Christ. Our focus is on Lord. That's where we're going. And someone will say, well, fearlessness and great joy Don't you know, Piper, the sky is falling? The sky is falling on your family. The sky is falling on this church. The sky is falling on our city. The sky is falling on our nation. The sky is falling all over the world with Omicron. You have no idea where this is going to end. Don't you know the sky is falling? So what are you going to say to that person? That's where we'll end this sermon. I hope you'll know what to say to that person by the time we're done. So my question is, how does the lordship of this newborn baby make possible in 2022, whatever comes, fearlessness and great joy? I have six wonders of the Lordship of Jesus to draw out of the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to get all my points, I think. I might cheat a little bit from the Gospel of Luke. Here are the six wonders. He is a divine Lord. Number two, he is a historical Lord. Number three, he is an all-governing Lord. Number four, he is an everlasting Lord. Number five, he is a God-glorifying Lord. And number six, he's a happy 
Lord. So that's where we're going, number one. The fearlessness and greatness of your joy in 2022 is possible because Jesus is a divine Lord. I'll give you three arguments. There are a lot of reasons to say that from the Gospel of Luke. Here's number one. The word Lord in the first two chapters of Luke occurs 27 times. 25 of them refer to God, and two refer to Jesus. No hesitation. So verse 9, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. We know who that is. That's God. Two verses later, verse 11, and unto you is born Christ the Lord. No hesitation, no qualification. The Lord God sent his angel. The Lord God shone around them. The child is the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 26, he's called the Lord's Christ. The Lord's Christ. And then here in verse 11, He's called Christ the Lord. Now that sounds to me virtually the same as John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's with God, and he's God. <laughs> and this says... He is the Lord's Christ, and Christ the Lord. That's Luke's language, or the angels. Number two, reasons for thinking he's a divine Lord. That's the point of the virgin birth. It is. Luke one thirty one, the Angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a baby. And she meekly and submissively says, how? I'm a virgin. Here's his answer, verse 35 of chapter 1. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Very God of very God. This is not the crass slander of Christianity that the Father had sex with Mary. And that's why we call him the Son of God. That's what one-third of the planet believes. It's not that. This is the Holy Spirit making plain he doesn't need a human father because God, the Holy Spirit, is going to work an unfathomable miracle in this womb, and there will be two natures in this baby, a divine nature and a human nature. He will be the God-man, Jesus the Lord. 
That's argument number two. Argument number three for the divineness of the Lord is the way this gospel ends and sends us on our way. So you're finished reading this inspired portrait of the Lord and what should you be doing as you walk away from this gospel? This is chapter 24, verses 51 to 52. The last verses of the gospel go like this. While Jesus blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him. You don't worship a man unless he's God, (laughs) unless you're an idolater. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. That's no accident. (laughs) The gospel begins with great joy. It ends with great joy because he's worshipped. That's the point of the gospel. That's the point of the universe. Jesus, the Lord, worshipped as God. End of point one. He is a divine Lord. Number two. The fearlessness and greatness of your joy in 2022 is possible because he's a historical Lord. What I mean by that is that the accounts of his birth, the accounts of his growing up, his dying and his rising is not mythological. It's not Greek mythology. It didn't happen in Middle Earth. It didn't happen on a planet or on a galaxy far, far away. Why do you suppose Luke went out of his way, both at the birth of Jesus and the beginning of his ministry, to point out all these secular associations of leaders that everybody knows existed because you can read about them in history whether you're a Christian or not? Why, Why is that? For example... Luke 1, 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judah. Or Mary was from a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Or Joseph was from Bethlehem, a town outside Jerusalem. Or a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. And all the world is going to be registered This was when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. (laughs) What's the point? It's not a myth. That's the point. It's like he was born when Joe Biden was president and Tim Waltz was the governor and Mr. Fry was the mayor. It's that real. He is more real, and the events around his life are more real than the person sitting near you right now. It's not a, it's not a myth. Third, the fearlessness and greatness of your joy is possible because Jesus is an all-governing Lord. Just run through the gospel. 
chapter 8, in a boat in the midst of the storm, the disciples cry out, Master, we're perishing. He rises. He rebukes the wind and the raging waves. They cease. And the disciples marvel, saying, Who is this that he commands even the wind and the water? And they obey him. And the answer is obvious. He made them. (laughs) He made them. They do what he says. Wind, stop. Waves, go flat. They simply do it. He made them. Demons, Luke 4, 41, they come out crying, you're the Son of God. And he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. They don't do anything without permission. This this world is not dualistic, like two big powers duking it out, wonder who's going to win. Shut your mouth, Satan. He doesn't speak a word without permission. Disease, every one of them. Chapter 4, all those who had any who were sick brought them with the various diseases to him, and he laid his hands, and on every one of them he healed them. No failures. Death, the widow's son at Nain, chapter 7, Jesus came up and touched the casket and said to the dead man, you're going to talk to the dead man, young man, rise. He's alive. The will of human beings, which we vaunt as self-determining, I am my own master. I decide whether to be a Christian or not. Really. Luke 10, 22. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Summary. Jesus governs all natural events. Jesus governs all demons. They can't do anything without his permission. Jesus governs all disease. Jesus governs all life and death. Jesus governs the human heart and who gets saved from their rebellion and who doesn't. I think Luke loves to exalt in the all-governing lordship of Jesus. And the reason I think he does is not only because all those stories, which the other gospels tell, but he introduces his gospel like nobody else, and it's just wonderful. (laughs) I love it. So here we have the story of how this baby is going to be born. Now, why is Luke going to say and God going to plan that there is an amazing reversal of the butterfly effect. That means nothing to you probably, but I'll tell you what the butterfly effect is and what I mean by reversing it. So listen carefully, kids. Butterfly. Why is he going to talk about butterflies? (laughs) The butterfly effect is the, the, the theory 
that a, a butterfly flapping his wings in Brazil will cause a tornado in Oklahoma. Okay? By a thousand unseen links of causes. And the reversal of the butterfly effect would be something like a tornado in the Gulf of Mexico results in a Chinese university student in Beijing stumbling into a Christian group and getting saved. What are you talking about? What, What has that got to do with these two chapters? Well, look. God chooses a virgin who lives in Nazareth Her betrothed lives in Nazareth. It's the wrong city. They've got to be in Bethlehem for this birth. God knows that. He wrote the book, Micah 5. It's got to happen in Bethlehem. So I'm going to choose somebody in Nazareth. And how am I going to get her there? I'm going to put it into the heart of the most powerful person in the universe. No, in the world. Caesar Augustus. That the whole world should be registered. A million people to get one virgin 70 miles south. I think Luke loves that. I do. He didn't have to do it that way. Choose a virgin in Bethlehem, for goodness sakes. (laughs) God is a holy show-off, if you will permit it, of his glorious sovereignty over Caesar and governors and everything. And Jesus is that God-man. He's doing that today, you know. You think, you think that the big events on the stage of world history are about nations and industries. They're not. They're about you. God rules the world for the sake of his children working everything together for their everlasting good. So that's number three, the all-governing lordship of Jesus. Number four, the fearlessness and greatness of your joy is possible because Jesus is an everlasting Lord, everlasting. Chapter 1, verse 31 to 33, the Angel Gabriel says to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, lest we miss the point, there will be 
no end. He will reign forever. His kingdom will have no end. If you are his subject, you will live forever. He will raise you from the dead. He will. And he will bring you into his everlasting kingdom. If you say Jesus is Lord and mean it, you are immortal. Nobody can touch you. The last enemy is defeated. If death is solved, you can be really radical. (laughs) You know it? You can take a lot of risks. I'm already dead. And I will be raised. And I will have everlasting joy. No matter what happens here, I will have everlasting joy. That's a pretty radical people, if you believe it. If he is your everlasting Lord. Number five, the fearlessness and greatness of your joy is possible in 2022 and beyond because Jesus is a God-glorifying Lord. Let's, let's survey the gospel and then come back to our text. So here we are in, you don't need to go there, 525. The lame man is healed who comes down through the roof, remember? And he went home glorifying God. Verse 26, the crowds joined him and they glorified God and were filled with awe. Chapter 7, verse 16, he, he raises the widow's son and the crowds fear and glorify God. Chapter 13, verse 13, the woman who's bent over for 18 years, he straightened her up and she went on her way glorifying God. Chapter 18, verse 43, the blind beggar receives his sight, follows him glorifying God. There's no no doubt what the point is, right? Jesus is in this world to get glory for his Father. He's a God-glorifying Lord. But we we don't need to survey the gospel. We can stay right here. So, the angels tell the shepherds what the sign will be. And the sign will be you'll find the Savior, Christ the Lord, in a feeding trough. That's a pretty good sign. Babies don't sleep in feeding troughs. There'll only be one in Bethlehem. And before the shepherd can say, that makes no sense at all, armies appear in the sky. That's what host means. Armies of angels appear in the sky to explain what's going on. And what do they say? Glory to God in the highest. How would you summarize? Here's my summary. The point of the birth of Jesus, Savior, Christ, Lord is God is glorious. That's the point. God is awesome. That's what the angel said. You know, you should ask, if if, if that seems obvious to you, it isn't to about 98% of the world. You should ask, well, 
since he sent a Savior to save man, and since he sent a Messiah to fulfill all the promises made to man, and since he is the Lord to work everything together for the good of man, why don't these angels say, glory to man in the highest? Which is what the whole world sings. Everything you look at sings glory to man. Science sings glory to man. Movies sing glory to man. Advertising sings glory to man. The angels don't. That's not the point. The point is God is glorious. Glory to man because the universe was created to display and uphold and communicate the glory of God to us. If you displace, replace. If you displace God as the ultimate end and goal of creation and history, you don't gain status. You lose God. And if you lose God, you lose great joy. Which brings us to our final point. The fearlessness and greatness of, of, of your joy in 2022 and this Christmas is possible because Jesus is a happy Lord. He is the perfect embodiment of the happiness of God. We could just stay right here. Let's just stay right here, and then we're going to go. We're going to go to one more place in Luke. But let's just stay here in verse fourteen. These are God's angels. We all agree on that. These are God's angels speaking. They're not renegades. They're not rebels. They're doing what God sent them to do. Psalm one hundred three twenty. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. That's what's happening here. These are obedient angels. Go, go say that, God says. Go say that. In other words, this exuberant overflow, glory to God. This is not begrudging. Like these angels are saying, I wish we didn't have to say this. This is hard to say. This is exuberant. Some of you are incapable of exuberance, but you can understand it. You can understand it. Glory to God in the highest. That exuberance is the overflow of the exuberance of God. They didn't make this up. (laughs) They're just doing what they're commissioned to do. Go show them how I feel about this. Now, I do invite you to turn to Luke 15, and we're going to wrap it up here because it's just awesome. It's just glorious for those of us who have uh, needs like this. Only Luke has chapter 15, namely the three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, otherwise known as the prodigal son. Okay, very famous parable. And they're all told, as you've, I'm sure, heard, 
to explain the first verses where Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners, which he shouldn't be doing, they thought. And so he's got to give an account. What's going on here when I eat with tax collectors and sinners? And he tells three parables to explain what he's doing. He's rescuing lost sinners. That's what he's doing. Lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. That's what's going on here. But what I want you to see is how God feels about this. So chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, when the woman found her lost coin, which represents Jesus finding a lost sinner, she called her friends and neighbors and said, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that was lost. Rejoice with me, I found the coin. I found a sinner. Jesus found a sinner. God found a sinner. Rejoice with me. And then Jesus adds this. Just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now listen carefully. It does not say there is joy among the angels. I'm sure that's true. It's not what it said. It says there is joy before the angels, in front of the angels, in the presence of the angels. Who's, who's that? Who's left in heaven? God! This is God's joy before the angels. God's happiness over one sinner who repents. Now the parable of the lost son, it gets even better. It gets more precious, more beautiful, more unspeakably amazing. The parable is in verses 11 to 32. The son squandered everything his father gave him. The entire inheritance is gone to pigs. Lechery, prostitution, who knows what else, is gone. And this son, by grace, comes to himself and says, well, maybe I could sign on as a slave, and I would sure have it better as a slave in my father's house if, if he would let me come home. Then I have it now in the pig pen. Verse 20 in the middle of the verse. You need to see this. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran. This is highly undignified. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. And he said, Bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began 
to celebrate. And as if, to make it crystal clear, and lest we miss the point of the word celebrate, in verse 32, he says to the grumbling older brother who represents the Pharisees, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. It was fitting to be glad. This is the Father talking. This is God talking. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. In Luke's inspired view of the all-glorious God-glorifying God, the all-glorious God-glorifying God. What makes God happy? What makes God happy? Are you even willing to think in those terms? What makes God happy? The joy of his people as they rediscover the happy goodness of their father. The joy of his people as they rediscover the happy goodness of their father. That's what makes the father glad. This is a parable about the glory of the Father. Don't miss that. This is a parable about God. This is a parable about the glory of the Father and the awakening of a blind son to see that glory. Namely, the beauty of his Father's happy goodness. The beauty of his Father's happy goodness. Beyond all imagination, I thought I was going to be a slave and I find that my father is overflowing with happy goodness toward me. So, back to our text in chapter 2, verse 14. When the angels said, glory to God in the highest, that was not at the expense of our joy. Are you putting it together? That, when they said, God is glorious. This is what it's about. God is glorious. That's not at the expense of your joy. It is your joy. To see that, to savor that, to come home to that, that's your joy. That's life. These are not at odds, right? It's about God. It's about his glory. And those who are of God, who hear the voice of their Lord say, that's the happiest thing I've ever heard, that God would find glory in putting his son in a eating trough or on a cross. This is the glory of the Savior to see and savor the glory of God. This is the glory of the Christ, the Messiah, to fulfill all the promises. This is the glory of the Lordship of Jesus. One more observation here. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, I'm at verse 14, on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased he gets the glory, we get the peace. 
shalom. We get the fearlessness. We get the great joy sharing his joy, which is his glory. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Fearlessness and great joy. You cannot take away your fear. You can't do that. You cannot make joy happen in your heart right now. You can't do it. You can say, joy, turn on. You can't do it. Which is why Paul said, here I'm cheating and going outside of Luke. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit works that miracle of enabling you from the heart to say Jesus is Lord. He works that miracle by the Word of God, which is why you're calling Jesus Lord is a free act. Because you hear the Word and the Holy Spirit takes that word of the last 40 minutes and delivers you from the bondage of deceit that self-lordship is more to be desired than the lordship of Christ. He frees you from that bondage of blindness and deceit and therefore you walk right into the arms of your father freely. What a glorious thing. The sky is falling Piper, get your head out of the sand. Get out of that biblical stuff and open your eyes to the stuff in the world. Read the paper. Look online. The sky is falling. It's falling in your family. It's falling in the church. It's falling in the city. It's falling in the nation. We're being overrun by every manner of unimaginable what? Now, what are you going to say to them? You're going to say, perhaps... And if it is, then my divine, historical, all-governing, everlasting, God-glorifying, happy Lord is in charge of the sky falling. And he will make that fall serve the fearless, great joy of his church, his true church. So why don't you come on in? Because the invitation is for everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. So that's our, our prayer. Lord, bring, bring us all in. Bring us close to your lordship and grant us to be so spirit-filled that we would see Christ for who he really is and walk into this next year with fearlessness and great joy because Jesus is Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. 
but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.